The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome, everybody, to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. If you or anyone you know is suffering from a severe case of senioritis, and maybe you're wondering what exactly that is, well, we're going to tell you. Former Georgetown admissions officer Karen Spencer, who's been on before, is coming back to chat about what the fallout might be and maybe offer some suggestions for how to handle it or for those of you who are not yet seniors, uh, offering some good examples of why not to fall for senioritis or not to come up with a case of senioritis. Uh, assuming that senioritis isn't actually affecting your child's chances of attending college, parents of seniors are probably anticipating that first college tuition bill. And we have former Anna Maria College financial aid officer Lori Peltier uh, joining us to walk through that bill. But first, uh, I'm, I'm really excited actually to talk about something that comes up very frequently when we're talking with families, and it's sort of an important thread um, throughout the college process. Um, but if you've ever wondered if it makes sense to select different majors at different schools in order to improve the odds of acceptance or maybe tried to steer your child to writing about something that you think admissions officers want to hear, um, today in today's first segment, we're going to address the issue really of whether or not it's a good idea to tailor the applicant to the college. Uh, And I think it might not surprise you to know that we don't think it is. Um, Former Reed Admissions Officer Ian Fisher is here today. He's back for his third trip to the show to discuss that. And welcome, Ian. Hi, Beth. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. Um, And I titled the episode Presenting Your Authentic Self because... Um, it's, it's something I find myself saying frequently when I talk to parents. And this entire segment was actually um, prompted by a question that we got from a listener. So I'm going to share the question. It came from Sherry, who said, Hi, I find your shows very informative, and they've been very helpful to me with our first daughter who's starting the college search. And thank you, Sherry. I appreciate that. Um, one question I would love your opinion on. If the school is known for a certain major and your student is interested in that major, would you select that as your major on the application, or is it more advantageous, advantageous to select unknown or less popular one to increase the chances of getting in? And um, for me, that's really a bad idea um, because to me, that's less about making a smart choice and more about playing a game that then compromises um, presenting your authentic self to the college. So I keep using this phrase. Uh, Ian, what do we mean when we're talking about presenting or your authentic self? I guess let's start with the very basic piece of it. Well, I, I think your authentic self really is sort of a, 
an idea of what your objectives are, what your goals are from college education in general. What do you hope to accomplish? What kinds of talents and skills do you bring to the table? What are your values? What are your objectives? Um, and then, you know, those are all sort of academic questions, but I think also from a personal side, um, what kind of place is going to help you thrive? Where are you going to grow into the person that you want to be? What kind of people do you want to be around? There are a lot of really important really personal, deep questions that you should be asking about what, what you're looking for out of a college. And, you know, I sort of, I listed a whole bunch of things there, but I didn't mention major at any point. Um, and, and I don't feel like the major is really a part of who you are at your core um, in terms of your authentic self. Um, I think it's a tool that you can use and certainly something that will be an important part of your college education. But more of what you're getting from your college experience is sort of the, the way that the content is administered to you, how you go about learning it, and the connections that you develop with the people around you. And so having a good understanding of who you are and what you bring to the table will really help uh, to, to find the kind of college that's going to be right for you later on. Right. And I also think um, when we're talking about actually presenting that authentic self in an application, in a college interview, um, what I, I know that when I read applications, and I'm guessing this was the case when you read applications, so you at Reed and me at Penn, the students who tended to break through with more regularity were those where it, the, the application kind of felt organic. I was really getting to know an actual student rather than reading something that was written because someone thought I might like it. Um, yeah. I think the, the eternal, I'm going to write about community service because even though I only do it once every three months, they want to hear about what a good person I am. So I'm going to write about that, right? That's not being right. authentic, right? Exactly. And, and there are so many different pieces of the application that, you know, you really, your hope and your goal is that those things fit together. And I think the best applications were the ones where you started to develop a sense of who the student was in the early part of what they they put together through their personal statement and maybe their extracurricular activities. And then, you know, I always read the letters of recommendation right after the personal statement, and those would either corroborate in a good case or go against, in a bad mm -hmm. case, what the student had talked about in the personal statement. And so you see the sort of developing picture of who a student is based on the content that surrounds them. And so how they choose to present themselves in their essays and the, the content that they have control over really should gel with exactly what other people are saying about them and kind of the impression you get about them through the rest of their application. Um, right. So, you know, college admission officers are really fond of saying that we don't deny people, we deny applicant applications <laughs> to our college. <laughs> yeah. um, and so it's like, we're looking at pieces of paper, we're not looking at who you are. And um, that's true. You know, you only get 10 to 15 minutes to spend, you know, reading an application and, and deciding whether to admit that application or not. But the closer that application represents who you are authentically, the better you've done at sort of putting yourself in front of that admission officer. It's always going to be an imperfect way of communicating who you are, but you can do it better or worse in, in a lot of different cases. And I, and I also think that if one of the other things we you look for, right, is fit. Can I, in a great application, I'm starting yeah. to picture that student on my campus. So if yeah. this, in this specific case with Sherry and her daughter, if her daughter is drawn to a particular school because they have her major of interest and it's a popular major and a really robust program, 
to then apply and not mention it or actually kind of redirect to something completely different. And in in a sense, I, I, lie is a little strong, but to, yeah. um, and I'm not suggesting, Sherry was merely asking the question. I'm not suggesting that she was doing this at all, but we get this question a lot. But the, the point is that this misses a great opportunity to show this is why I love your school. Um, and while sure, if you fall in love with something a little quirkier and less well-known, that might make you a slightly more unique applicant. But at the end of the day, you want people who want your school because of the great variety of things that it offers. And if one of those things happens to be a popular major on campus, you don't, it's not like we're going to look askance because it's a popular major. We're going to say, well, then that makes sense. I see why you're applying. Right. And Reed is a place that, um, you don't know how many listeners are familiar with Reed, but it, it has a very distinctive vibe to it. A very distinct type of student is really attracted to the kind of education that's provided there. And we were really looking for that kind of student through the application materials. Um, we didn't offer any sort of um, pre-professional majors or non-liberal arts majors. So if a student was really interested in business or engineering, um, it would be hard for them to fake uh, an essay about philosophy or economics or English, you know, you tend yep. to be better at describing yourself in the terms that reflect who you are. And I think if you try and say, well, I got to write a different type of essay because that's what's going to work for this particular school, you're putting yourself in a territory where you're no longer really the expert. And, and now you're trying to fake it. And that really comes across when you're reading those applications. You can tell when a student um, is is sort of, not in their sweet spot in terms of talking about who they are and what they bring to the table. I, I, I mean, absolutely. I think that's the key, right? So not only when you are not true to who you are, are you kind of not making it more difficult to really piece together who is this student, but you also are probably not doing your best work because who can possibly do their best work when they're writing about things that they're not really interested in? I mean, it's like pulling teeth as one who has worked with students on writing many, many essays when they pick a topic that someone else has selected for them or that they thought might make a good idea. I mean, the, the difference between the energy and enthusiasm they have for writing a piece that strikes at something they're really excited and interested in versus, well, I just thought this might make something good to write about is huge. Um, So with that in mind, uh, you know, I do think there's a difference between being smart about your applications and playing games. And, um, you know, you had come, you had some really good examples of things Examples where you thought, um, you know, other types of questions that strike at the now you're moving away from being your authentic self. So maybe if you can walk us through some other times when it's important to take a step back and say, wait, am I really being true to who I am here? Yeah, so I I think that this a lot of this question should be repeated and, and asked over and over again as you're engaging in this process, basically from the start of your freshman year and thinking about what it is that you want to be involved in. So. I have a lot of parents that come up to me and, and say, you know, my, my son is really interested in going to a top-tier school someday, so what are the activities that you think he should focus on over these next four years? And for me, I just I hold up a mirror and, and want to reflect that question right back at the kid and say, what is it that you really like to do? What do you, mm-hmm. what do you want to be involved in? Where do you want to spend your time? 
because that's going to be the area that you're more likely to get leadership positions. You're more likely to stay involved for a period of four years. You're more likely to cultivate the kind of experience that colleges are ultimately really looking for from you. And I, I think that that's, that's really, really important uh, for students to consider is who am I and how do I make the best of, of who I am rather than trying to find something that fits at college. Because if you're cultivating talents and interests that aren't your own, but that are what you assume a college wants, you're going to be in a position, I think, when you're applying to school where you're not quite sure whether you're applying for what you want, where you're not right. sure that your goals are the ones that are really reflected by, you know, your ambitions, your personal desires, and your talents. And so I think, you know, everybody, I wish I didn't say everybody, but when I get those kinds of questions, I think that the focus is really on getting that offer of admission. And I think that you, you want to think about not just what that offer of admission needs, but what about that college experience at that particular campus is going to mean for you over those four years and how that sort of uh, pays off in the end in terms of your, your career prospects and your, your value, your quality of life. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I, we were talking before the show started about, um, we just had a question come through regarding um, picking a certain major at a certain school and would it be harder to get into that school? And in this case, it was an ex- the example was um, computer science, I believe, at um, one of the UC schools. And would it be harder right. to get into the UC school if they selected that major? And this is kind of a really nuanced piece of things that probably we should we could we have a little bit of time to dig into. Um, yeah. You know, when does it make sense to maybe select a dis- different major? Does it ever make sense to select a different major um, to increase chances of getting in? Yeah, I think I get this question a lot because I'm, I'm based in, in Palo Alto and I've, I've got, you know, a lot of students that I work with are really interested in UC Berkeley or UCLA. You know, those are the flagship universities here in California. And, you know, I get these questions a lot as it relates to um, engineering and computer science, which tend to be some of the tougher programs to get into in the, in the UC campuses. And what I usually talk to parents and students about is it's a little bit of sort of a logical progression, playing this, this out all the way through. So let's say, let's say you're really interested in engineering. That's, that's what you want to do. Um, what's the best case scenario if you apply to a school that you really want to go to, but you don't? have engineering as your major. Um, Can you really get into the engineering program in the way that you want? Well, certainly not in the first year. So it might mean that in the best case, you're going to take five years to graduate from that particular campus with engineering. That's your best case scenario to get the degree that you want Mm -hmm. at that school. Is that what you're really looking for? What's your worst case scenario? You're stuck at a campus you really wanted, but you wanted it because of the engineering program. And now you're majoring in something that's totally unrelated to mm-hmm. what it is that you are hoping to accomplish. Is that really where you want to be? And then we can compare that to sort of the best case and worst case scenario of applying to the program that you want at that school. So best case scenario is you get in, that's exactly what you wanted. Worst case scenario, you don't get in, but now you consider the options from other schools that have accepted you in your chosen major. And isn't it better to have access to the major that you're really excited by, especially something like engineering that has a really specific set of requirements? than ending up at a campus that you really hope for, but only because of the major that they have there. Right. 
Right. And I think if the reverse is true, if you have a few different areas that you're interested in and a school that you really feel is going to help you explore those areas of interest and just feels like the right fit to you for a variety of other reasons, and one of your three major choices is really difficult to get into and another is a little less so, well, there's a good example of being smart. It's not really playing games. It's a true interest um, and you're not solely focused on one thing. Um, But in the in the scenario that you were just setting up, I think you want engineering. Why in God's name would you choose to start at a school that hasn't won't admit you to engineering? Because right. it does. It's a lot of money to spend um, to not even to only have a chance at getting what you actually want to get out of that education. Exactly, and so I think it's really a question of why do you want to go to this particular institution? What is it mm-hmm. that sort of feeding that desire? Is it about the ranking of that particular program? Is it about what you know about faculty who are doing that work? Or is it something qualitatively about the institution and the kind of experience that you're going to have there, regardless of your major? So Mm -hmm. if if that is the reason that you're choosing that school, then by all means, be really smart about understanding the different admissions uh, selectivity criteria for, for different types of programs. But I think if you're really driven by Uh, what it is that you're interested in studying, then you need to make that your priority when you're choosing which colleges on those university campuses to apply to. Yeah, I think um, Sherry asked what probably she felt was a pretty simple question. We gave her a pretty long, (laughs) detailed answer, but hopefully that's helpful to anyone out there listening and wondering about that. And um, Ian's actually going to be back for a few shows. We're going to be doing a series on approaching the common application prompts. There are five of those, and we're going to be talking through those um, in a couple of weeks. But and, and that's an area, too, where we'll talk about the importance of presenting your authentic self. But if the question is, do I pretend to be someone I'm not just so I can get in, the answer should always be, nope, that's not a really good idea. I'm not presenting my authentic self. Right. So, and I think you want to be really confident that everything you're submitting to an applica- uh, to a school in your application reflects you. Um, I, I always recommend before students submit their application to use the preview function to read that thing from cover to cover and make sure that it accurately reflects who they are and what they're looking for out of their college of education. And if something's missing or it feels a little bit uh, like it's out of place, then go back and make make a change there so that you're really showing who you are and what you bring to the table. Um, I think colleges really appreciate that level of thoughtfulness and, and reflection. That's right, and you only get one shot. Once you send it, you don't get to send a second one. Ooh, ooh sorry, I missed exactly. that piece. Exactly. It's gone. Yeah. It's gone. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Uh, after the break, we're going to talk about senioritis, what it is, the issues it can cause for you. Uh, so don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, 
how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Tune in to Patricia Raskin Positive Living on voiceamerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call in to Patricia Raskin Positive Living Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. It's practical, positive solutions for a happy, empowered, and successful life follow us on twitter at voice america trn get the lowdown on guests new shows and your favorites that's voice america trn you are listening to getting in a college coach conversation to reach elizabeth heaton or her guest today please call in to 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. If you're finding it tough to go to class or maybe to motivate your child to go to class, you may have a classic case of senioritis on your hands. And my next guest, Karen Spencer, is here to talk about that with us. Hi, Karen. Hi, Beth. How are you? I'm good, thanks. So what is senioritis? So senioritis is where you either decide to take a little mini vacation, (laughs) mental vacation, academic vacation, and check out a little bit, check out a lot. Um, But it can come from different sources. Some people are just tired by the time they get to senior year or the second semester of senior year. Some have just kind of grown apathetic. Some think like, well, I already got in my early decision school, so who cares? We're done here. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it can really go, um, it, it, can be, it can be motivated by different things, but it's essentially kind of a lightening up of caring about a lot of things <laughs> about your last year of high school, be they academic or extracurricular. Right. So you and I both personally have stories of this, and we actually, you pulled the team to get some others and... Um, you know, there were, uh, let's start with kind of the academic side of things. So that's when you really, you let the grades slip and what you presented when you were admitted and what your transcript looks like today can often be quite different depending on how badly you let them slip. So can you talk us through what the varying levels uh, are, uh, you know, how bad does it have to be before you get in trouble with the college and, and what are kind of the different levels, uh, types of trouble you can get in? Right. So I think it depends on the college to some degree. The more selective, the less room for error there is. Um, it also depends on the crime. And by that, I mean the punishment usually fits the crime, right? If you get caught cheating on a final you're likely to get that offer rescinded. You know, go from A's to B's, you might get more of a slap on the wrist. Um, so I think it depends on the different levels. So, you know, um, 
you know, for the academic piece, um, I can tell you when I worked at Georgetown and from polling my colleagues, it seems this is a pretty universal policy. There were what we called A, B, and C letters. And the um, A letter was, you know, P.S., you're still admitted, but we noticed you took a little vacation from your grades here and from working that hard, and we noticed, and we don't kind of appreciate it, right? But you're still mm-hmm. going to get to come. The B letter was, we noticed you took a little vacation senior year from um, your academic performance, and you are coming in on academic probation. And that, right. that length of academic probation could differ from school to school and what that required, be it a check-in, a frequent check-in with your advisor, a requirement that you meet a certain GPA your first two semesters in order to, keep to, to be able to stay on campus. Um, you know, those differed, but it was essentially uh, you're starting off on academic probation. And then the C letter was you took a really big vacation and you are no longer admitted to this institution. And so, um, you know, I don't think C went out a whole lot. At most schools, but it did go out. Um, A and B are a little bit more common. Um, and again, you know, it depended on the school. It depended on how big of a drop you got. If you went from all A's to all D's, you might have gotten the C letter. If you went from all A's to all B's at some colleges, you might have gotten the A or B letter, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it just depended on the school and kind of how far you dropped. Yeah, and I think that also a lot of schools are would require to go along with that letter an explanation. So even the A letter where we would say, hey, we noticed things didn't go so well. We'd like to hear about why that is. Um, and often I think with the B letter as well, though with the C letter, you're pretty much out of, out, out of luck because they've already yeah. decided and they don't really care what the explanation is. Um, how do you handle this? Let's say you know that your transcript isn't going to look good. And, and actually, we should back up a little bit. The way that the colleges know about this is because they get a transcript. And, um, you know, w- w- what do the colleges do with that transcript um, once it arrives? I think changes from college to college. But, Karen, you got some good information from our team about that. So what can you tell us about that piece? Yeah. So the, for the first thing I would say is that I would say at the overwhelmingly large majority of colleges, a final transcript is necessary in order for you to matriculate. So it's not done when you get that acceptance letter from the admissions office. It's done once you got that acceptance letter and your final transcript has been turned in, right? Mm -hmm. And this is for a few reasons. One is to kind of address this issue. We want to make sure you ended as you appeared when you applied, right, that you were as solid of a student, you know, when you finished as you were when you applied, because that's what we're assuming when we admit you in, you know, April. Um, The second thing is is that um, the financial aid office needs a final transcript in order to guarantee that you get need-based aid from the federal government. So without a transcript, a college can withhold need-based aid because that is a requirement to make sure that you indeed graduate from high school because the federal requirements require that you be a high school graduate. So most colleges will not um, will require that to be checked and, and in full. And the other reason is also just to make sure, you know, it's interesting getting that final transcript. All sorts of interesting things come up. Um, I, we once admitted a student to Georgetown, and we hadn't gotten the final transcript. We requested it multiple times from the student, and so we finally called the guidance counselor, and the guidance counselor's like, he applied to Georgetown, really? And we're like, yeah, and, like, and you admitted him? And we were like, yeah. Well, <laughs> when she finally sent us his final transcript, um, it was wholly different than the one he had sent us for his application. Um, he had uh, forged a, a transcript. <laughs> 
in his application. Yeah. So this was a nice way of catching that. And like I said, all sorts of weird things come out when you ask for a final transcript, whether there's a holdup for other reasons. Um, we've had it held up because the student was expelled um, for doing X, Y, or Z at the prom. Um, so, you know, that final transcript request kind of dots a lot of I's for us and makes sure everything else is in order in many different ways. Right, and and we actually, different schools are going to look at those differently. At Penn, we had a glorious group of people in the mailroom who were really wonderful about opening those all up and matching up all the records and making sure that it all matched. Um, we have colleagues who tell tales of standing in, um, in storerooms. Storage bins. <laughs> yeah, storage bins, thank you, at the hottest days of the year, literally scanning each and every one of them to make sure Um and so it's a lot of legwork, and there, there's a really good reason that they do it, to catch those issues that you're talking about, Karen, to um, catch these kids who have maybe um, experienced this senioritis. It's probably important to note here that in some cases, it actually won't be senioritis that has caused the issue. Um, and this points up something that I say all the time about the college admissions process, which is if you think that the college is going to have a question about something, make sure you answer it because if you leave them to their own devices, they may come up with the wrong answer. So if you experienced a major illness or something significant happened at home, a divorce, a death in the family, um, and I don't mean death of your fourth cousin twice removed. I mean, you know, a, an immediate family member, something that's really going to impact you and potentially impact those grades. That's something you need to notify the school about before they ever get wind of it from anybody else. They want to hear it from you. It's a much easier thing to make allowances for that when the student is being truthful and being upfront um, than it is when you find it out much later on. And you may not at that point be inclined to hear an explanation because, if they didn't feel that they should provide one, your only assumption is that there is no explanation beyond senioritis. Right. And again, yeah. we have very vivid imaginations at two in the morning when we're reading our hundredth application of the day. So don't let me imagine what went wrong. That's exactly right. Or when you're standing in those um, storage units in the hottest yeah. day of the year, paging <laughs> through, you're probably angry already. So you're going to assume the worst. Um, what about, uh, we've talked about the academic side of things. What about the social missteps, the tomfoolery, the shenanigans, the ballyhoo, all that bad stuff that's going on outside of school? Yes. So, um, shenanigans is right. That's what my mother likes to call it. Um, so those are actually often the things that are going to get you even in more trouble, right? And so, you know, it's one thing to... Um, do something a little silly, um, something that's going to get you expelled, arrested, get a record. Um, anything that's kind of really a problem is going to be a big problem for an admissions office. Um, so, um, so we had different stories. Uh, one student got a DUI. Um, one person was caught selling pot at the prom, um, not just using it, selling it. Mm-hmm. Um, there was another one um, where someone it came to light that someone had plagiarized their essay, which is obviously an academic thing, but that's not so much senioritis as straight out cheating. Um, and as I always yep. say, there is nothing more deadly in an admissions office than cheating or lying. Um, yep. So, you know, those are the kind of things that if those come to light, 
um, those are the kind of things that are going to get you that C letter that says your offer has been rescinded. So, um, you know, the, the moral of the story as I was talking to, um, you know, our colleagues today was don't do something really foolish senior year, really at any point, right? Leave that really you're already point. enrolled and you're in yes. college, right? You can make some silly mistakes then, but don't, in 12th grade, I know it's easy to check out and I realize, you know, a lot of students are tired, you know, they've been taking AP tests and they just want a little break, but yet summer between, you know, 12th maybe and in college is the time to take a break if you can, you know, do it. You know, nobody's going to ask you what you did in the summer after 12th, right? And you're already yep. in. So, you know, but don't make any bad, bad decisions in 12th. Um, because that's really, it's not, it's not really over yet. It's not over until you're unpacking your bags. Yeah. And I mean, it's always better to get a zero on a quiz because you didn't study than to cheat on the quiz so that you don't get a zero and then get caught cheating because the getting caught cheating piece is going to hurt you way more than the zero on the quiz ever would. Exactly. and, and, you know, I think you bring up a good point. How do you try and avoid this, the senioritis? It's tough. Fear is a good motivator, I find. So um, if you are the parent of a current freshman, sophomore, or junior, you might have them listen to this segment to hear about what can happen if you let things slide. Um, I do think finding opportunities to take breaks, um, to relax maybe a little bit more, um, I know that when I actually, I got in early decision when I was applying to college and in the spring of my senior year, I was going to play lacrosse like I always had. And um, it really, I wasn't very good at it. Um, We were once winning a game 16 to two and the coach put me in for a minute and then took me back out. So that tells you about how much I had to offer the team. Um, And it was really an added stress on my life at a time that I didn't really need it. And so I decided not to play. I hadn't put it on my college application that particular, I didn't put that I was going to play my senior year because I was already thinking about it. If I had, I would have had to notify my college and the rule really would have been that I would have to ask is it okay if I don't play um, lacrosse in the spring of my senior year? I don't know what they would have said, but because I didn't put it on my application and I hadn't promised to do that, it was okay. Um, you know, that's that's something you could consider if it's really overwhelming and if the choices between asking for permission to drop a sport or to drop a level in a class, you're better off asking for dropping the sport than dropping a level in the class um, before you get yourself into trouble. Uh, either way, right, with, um, with getting poor grades or the other. What about um, any advice for, or um, I like to call it, I don't know if you have any examples, but I like to call it early onset senioritis, um, where the student is, you know, barely into the senior year or, you know, only a few months in and suddenly senioritis has kicked in. And I think you had a good example um, that we were talking about before the show. Oh, about the kid with the University of Wisconsin? Yes. Yeah, so I had a student, and I think senior writers can, yeah, can hit in at any point. It can hit right off the bat. I do think it's probably more likely to hit second semester um, mm-hmm. when everything's already in and you kind of feel really that kind of sense of relief. But I had a student, almost a straight-A student, really bright kid, had a lot of good schools on his list and, um, you know, really kind of challenging schools for him to get into, but which, for which were a legitimate shot for him. But he decided to, like, really take a vacation. Uh, it's about, I'd say, October, November of senior year. And he got into the University of Wisconsin because, um, through, like, kind of a rolling program. So he already had that acceptance. But most of the rest of his applications were regular decision. And so while Wisconsin hadn't seen his 
first semester grades the rest of his schools did, and that became his only choice. Um, and he had, I think, a list of like nine schools, and I'd say seven were legit possibilities. Two were a bit of a reach, but nothing dramatic. Um, and he really only got into the University of Wisconsin. Um, but that was all his doing. And, you know, he, for reasons that somewhat escaped me, um, just checked out. And he yeah. went from, like, almost all straight A's to all C's, and that was that. And yeah. you know, that's the thing about any one of the semesters, it's hard to recover from. And this, you don't have time to recover as a senior, because that's it, right? You can't prove that it was a blip, because you're in it when it's a blip. Um, so it's, it's harder to not prove that you just didn't throw in the towel. You know, if you have a bad semester sophomore year and recover, like I said, it looks like a blip. When you have yes. a bad semester senior year, that's harder to recover from. Right, because there simply is no time to recover, to your yep. point, right? You can say, I'm going to recover, right. <laughs> well, but, but there's a big difference. Right, me to believe you, which as an admissions officer, I may not be inclined to do. Right. Or if I'm looking at, and probably really what it comes down to most often is that I may be even, uh, I may feel sympathetic to the student and maybe something happened that's not really all that serious, but they just, for whatever reason, couldn't kick it into gear. And I may feel sympathy for that. I mean, who amongst us has not ever had a moment like that or even a stretch like that in your life? But when there are so many other applicants who aren't suffering from that, it's very hard, if not pretty much impossible at many places for you to make allowances for that um, student to kind of have that blip. And, you know, there is a big, bigger kind of issue probably about students pushing them to themselves too hard, parents pushing their kids too hard, um, maybe taking on too much, trying to do too much. And I, I think it's probably a good idea to always have that in the back of your mind as you go through school, you know, ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, is that you never want to take on so much that at some point you're just going to crack and you can't do anything anymore. Um, and sometimes that's really what senioritis is all about, just the culmination of so much Too pressure much. from parents themselves, their school, their whatever, yeah. And if you can't, you know, I, again, kind of to that point, we'd rather you just be honest about it. Um, mm-hmm. I was actually kind of laughing. One of my colleagues was saying about how one of at their school, they got, you know, they sent one of those letters to a kid, and he was pretty honest. He said, you know, he was so distraught that he couldn't get a prom date that he just kind of lost interest in school. And while, you know, that may seem like a kind of petty reason, um, you know, it was, they at least appreciated that he was honest. Yeah. And I mean, this goes back to the first segment we did about being authentic to who you are. You could try and make something up or have no explanation at all, or you could be honest. And I do think that the best admissions officers do appreciate that we are still dealing with teenagers. Again, you don't always have the ability to make allowances for that fact, but you can at least appreciate it. And sometimes you can make allowances for that fact. But if you can't get a prom day, I do feel for you, and I know how important that can be at a certain time in your life, but it is not, please try not to let that affect your ability to go to school and um, at least give a passing interest to your class. And if you can't get the straight A's you were used to getting, at least see if you can't hold on to straight B's. Because as Karen said, that's more likely to garner you that A letter, like, hey, we noticed what you did and we don't really like it and tell us what happened, rather than the B letter where you start on probation or far worse, the C letter where your offer gets rescinded. Um, anything else about senioritis? Uh, I think we've kind of covered the topic, and hopefully um, not too many of our listeners are having this issue. Um, but I well, didn't know, you know if The only last thing I would say is that, 
You know, I think it's easy to want to take a little breather, and we totally get that kind of, you know, we get it, you work hard, and you just kind of, you're kind of done. Um, but you have to remember that, you know, you, for one, you know, the last four months of your life, you are dictating what gets to happen for the next four years of your life. So, yes. you know, I think you want to really think about it like that. You know, I always say, if, you know, if I tell you, if you give me a dime, I'll give you a dollar, that's a good deal. Well, this is the same kind of concept. I need you to give me four months. So I can give you four years of what you want. Um, yep. So try to take the long view on this and not the short view, which I think is easy, easier to do when you're 17 than to take the long view. Well, of course, right? I mean, I know plenty of uh, people my own age who have a tough time with the long view, and it's even harder. <laughs> As, as my husband says to his son frequently, you know, no need to make any plans. Just let life come at you because he just doesn't seem to think ahead a lot. But, you know, I would say the same of my own son and sometimes I would say the same of myself. Um, Karen, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, we're going to be back in just a minute and we're going to walk everyone through the first college tuition bill. So don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Museums are great places to work and wonderful places to visit. But are they essential? How can we improve our museum practice so that museums remain vital and essential players in society? Listen for Museum Life with host Carol Bossert where each week we'll discuss timely and topical issues of concern to the museum community. Museum Life can be heard live every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. 
Hi, everybody. It's almost the end of the school year. I am not counting the days, but I believe my 11-year-old is, and he's got just a few of them left. And uh, some seniors actually have already graduated, or they're going to graduate in just a few weeks. Um, And college is still a few months away, but that tuition bill is looming, and it's going to arrive pretty soon. So Lori Peltier, who's been our guest before, is back to address that first bill. Welcome, Lori. Hi, Beth. How you doing? I'm doing fine, thank you. Good. So you got that first bill last year. That was the first t- college tuition bill that you officially got for your kids, correct? Yes, and I was lucky enough to get two of them because I have twins. Yes, good call. <laughs> I know you didn't really have control over that, but I'm sure that's yeah. one of those moments where you thought, huh, this twin thing is not actually so <laughs> awesome. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so I guess let's start with um, the basics on the first college bill. And, and I guess the first question is, when will a student receive the bill? And will it be for the full year or just for a semester? The first bills typically come out um, June 1st. And they're um, between June 1st and July 1st, depending on the school. And they typically bill for the semester. So if it's a traditional school with a fall, spring semester, you'll get a bill in July that's due August 1st and a spring bill in December that's due sometime in January. If it's a trimester or quarter school, then you'll get three or four bills a year. They'll break it down by semester because the student's enrollment status can change semester by semester. And keep in mind that the bill might not be mailed to the parents at home. It may be an online thing where the student gets an email saying, your bill is now ready to be viewed, log in here to see your bill. And they are communicating with the student regarding the bill, uh, even though they know that the parents are paying for it. Yeah, that's always a little dicey. We talked about that on last week's show where we were talking about transition, making the transition. And, you know, I don't know about you, but some teenagers um, don't check their email all that frequently. Uh, I know the one in our house, maybe once a week and (laughs) because they have other means of communicating. And so you definitely want to be aware of that, that it could be coming to your child, right? And if you haven't, if you haven't seen anything by July 1st, I would have them check definitely the first week of July for, for that bill. Is it not a good excuse to the college? Oh, well, my child didn't show me the bill, so I just <laughs> figured it would come later. Yeah, that would they be They like that? No. Yeah, exactly. So what's going to be on the bill? What can, what can we expect? Actually, we're going to get our first bill. What should we expect on that bill? Uh, honestly, some of them are very difficult to read. Some schools do better jobs than others of breaking it down. But you should be able to see not only the tuition charges, but the fees that are being charged. And again, it should just be for that upcoming semester, not the entire year. Even though up until this point, you always talk about the cost of college per year, your financial aid offer for the year. When it comes to the bill, it's broken down by semester. So you'll see tuition and fees. If they're living on campus, you'll see room and board charges and they'll break them out, uh, you know, how much is for the residence hall and how much is for the meal plan. The other thing that you'll see that surprises a lot of people is health insurance. Colleges are required to bill for health insurance, and then you have to prove that you have your child covered under your own health insurance plan. So you may see a charge for health insurance on your bill, and you'll have to submit a waiver card to get it removed. So those are the charges that you'll see, and then you'll see deductions from the bill, The deposit that you paid May 1st will show up as a deduction. Uh, Any financial aid that you've accepted, grants or scholarships from the school, will show up as a deduction. And then any loans that you've accepted, the loan money might not be in. You might not have even done the paperwork for the loans. But if you've accepted the loans that were offered, those would show up as pending and possibly be deducted from the bill. 
What's not showing up as a deduction is work-study because, again, as we talked about in one of the um, previous episodes, work-study is not deducted from the bill. It's given to the student in the paycheck. And Mm -hmm. also, if the student received any outside scholarships from the PTA or the Rotary Club or from your employer, even though you might have notified the school, uh, a lot of schools will not deduct that outside scholarship money coming in until the money arrives. So it might say pending outside scholarship or it might um, not even mention the scholarship at all until the money arrives. And will the money arrive before you have to pay the bill, or do you have to pay the entire balance on the bill, or do they allow for you know waiting on those other pieces? It varies so. school to school, but um, if they have documentation that that money is coming in and they feel confident that the money is going to arrive during the fall semester, then it would show up as a pending dollar amount and be deducted so that you only see what you owe after that scholarship. I gotcha. Okay. What are, so when it's time to, speaking of what you owe, what are my options or what are our options for paying the balance on the bill? Do we have to simply write a check for the total amount or how does that work? Well, the colleges don't really care how you pay the bill, how you piece it together. People piece it together a variety of ways. They just want it paid uh, in full on time. Uh, which Mm -hmm. is usually August 1st. And if you don't pay it on time, you might get charged late fees. You might not be able to move into your dorm. I've worked at colleges where we have this group of students who show up on move-in day and they have an outstanding balance and they're sitting on the quad with all of their stuff while their parents are trying to figure out how to to get their their bill cleared so that they can move in. It's a very awkward situation. Um, You can do loans, whether student loans or parent loans, to pay the balance. You can use cash. Some schools accept credit cards. However, most schools do not accept credit cards over a certain dollar amount because they don't want to pay the fees that are associated with that. And you can also do a payment plan. But again, the loans and the payment plan have to be in place before the deadline date for the the bill being due. Gotcha. So you don't assume that you can just slap down your American Express or your visa and pay for the whole semester on that because they're probably not going to let you do that. Correct. Okay. Is it going to be the same bill every semester? Is it going to sort of be equal payments and we'll make, you know, eight of them and then be done? Uh, typically, no, because there's so many things that change semester by semester. So your first semester bill might actually be a little less than your future bills because you paid that deposit May 1st. Mm-hmm. Some schools, the deposit is 500 or $800. So there could be that difference between your fall semester bill and your spring semester bill. The other thing that is different is your housing choices. So, for example, um, my son this year is in a typical freshman dorm room, two boys, and they share a bathroom down the hall with like 25 other boys. But next year, he is in a, um, a suite that has a kitchen. So the housing charges next year are going to be higher, but his meal charges are going to be less because he's not going to need a full meal plan because he's going to have a kitchen. Right. So, so that's the biggest change is the housing. You may want to talk to your child about you know, what their options are in future semesters so that, so that the student doesn't feel like they can willy-nilly just pick the best apartment on campus without regard to the cost associated with that. Um, so your meal plan can change, your housing can change, the deposit's not going to show up um, after the first semester. The other thing that can change is the number of credits a student takes. So most colleges will charge a set tuition amount 
for 12 to 18 credits. Mm-hmm. So whether they take four or five classes, they might get billed the same thing. But if they register for an additional class, then their tuition is going to jump for that semester. Um, or if they drop a couple classes and they're only taking, say, three classes and nine credits, then their tuition bill would be smaller. So it, it will vary, but most people kind of use the fall semester bill as a rule of thumb financially. Okay, if I owe you know, $25,000 for fall semester, I can pretty much assume I'm going to owe $25,000 every semester for the rest until they graduate. Sure. Um, and it and- may be a little bit more or less, but not too much of a difference. And I think you pointed out something that, you know, don't assume that every dorm is just a dorm fee, to your point. There are nicer places, and some schools, those are going to cost more than -hmm. your other options. And Mm -hmm. I think the meal plan is a big one. I know that... I scaled way back on my meal plan after first semester because it was clear that I didn't need everything that I had and then went off of it completely for the rest of my time in college after freshman year so that I still needed money to buy food to cook, but I didn't, mm-hmm. ha- we didn't have to pay the college because I wasn't going to eat in their dining halls. Right, right. and even my yeah. son who is, you know, six foot three, 200 pounds, he decided he wasn't using all of his meal plan for spring semester, so he dropped to a fewer number of meals per week because he wasn't eating breakfast. So he'd mm-hmm. grab a granola bar in his room before he went out to class. So it was a $400 difference by going from yeah. a 19-meal plan to a 15-meal plan. And did he have to decide that before second semester started? Was he able to drop that in the middle of the semester, or how does that usually work? Usually, you can only do it for the whole semester. So mid-semester, you, you can request a change, but it's not going to go into effect till the next semester. Gotcha. So I so think he gonna... made his change in November to be implemented in January. Gotcha. And to that, um, to that point, when does the second semester bill come? And so if you are going to make changes, let's say you might switch to a less expensive dorm, change your meal plan, or maybe even take a break and not go back for that second semester with a plan of ultimately returning. When do families usually have to make that decision by? That, that's a tough one because a lot of them are like December 15th. And at mm-hmm. that point, you haven't got your grades for fall. You know, if you are making that decision that I need a break, I need, I, you know, I shouldn't continue, mm-hmm. um, the bill may already be generated before you've received your fall semester grades. Um, but it, you would have time to, to notify the school and, and make changes. Just because they issued a bill doesn't mean that it's set in stone. You can make changes up until, I'd say, when it's due. So, so probably up until like January 10th, January 15th, depending gotcha. on the school. So there's time to come home for a break and make some decisions about what you want to do and, and right. then pay the bill or notify the college accordingly. Okay. Right. What if, um, who do you call in that case? Or what if there's an issue with the bill and it doesn't look like what it's supposed to look like? There's a discrepancy. That, that varies depending on what, what the mistake is or, or what you think the error is. And, and each school is a little different. Um, a lot of schools today have one-stop shopping or a one-stop office that handles what they call the bursars or the student account office, which is the one who's sending out the bills. But it also includes the registrar's office, which is the one who maintains your credits and how many credits you're registered for, and the financial aid office, which handles you know, how much are you getting deducted from your bill for financial aid. 
Um, so if it's a school that has a, a one-stop office, you could probably just call that, that main office and tell them what your question is. If it's a school that is not uh, consolidated like that and there's separate offices, obviously if it's you know, your student loan isn't showing up or the grant you thought you had is the wrong amount, you'd call the financial aid office. If it's the number of credits you're registered for, then it would be the registrar's office. If it's the dorm room or, you know, the, the apartment that you have on campus, it would be the housing office. You could start with the bursar's office or student account office. Um, every school calls it something different. Um, but basically, they would say, well, that's the charges on your bill reflect what the residence life told us you were going to live in. So if you have a question about your charges for your dorm room, you have to call residence life and get them to fix it. So um, the short, so you can, you, right, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> that's okay. So, um, so you can start with the bursar's office, but you may have to call and contact more than one office. Gotcha. So the short version is that you might need to be prepared to take an afternoon to make all of these calls and finally get to the heart of where the problem was. Um, but some colleges may furnish you with one-stop shopping, and that's sort of the ideal scenario. Right. Okay, great. Lori, thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate it. And I want to thank Karen and Ian for joining me today, too. Um, on next week's show, if you or your student has taken the PSAT or the ACT or the PLAN or the SAT anytime in the recent um, past, you may find that you're being inundated by mail and email from a lot of different colleges. Um, and you might be wondering how they got your name and information. Hint, it's tied to taking those standardized tests. Um, you might also wonder when it's all going to stop. And probably more importantly than anything, what does it mean? Are they really interested in you? Is this something or in your student? Is this an indication that you might be accepted? Uh, so on next week's show, we're going to break that all down for you. We're also going to cover the ins and outs of using a Roth IRA to save for college. And for the artists in the crowd, we're going to welcome special guest Lisa Sorensen, who has um, worked with a number of students on putting together art portfolios. And she's going to walk us through creating an art portfolio for use in the college admissions process. Um, whether you're planning an art major or maybe you just have a special talent that you want to highlight in your applications. Also, I want to remind people that we're welcoming our listeners to be our guests on air on Thursday, June 18th, and we're going to answer your admissions and college finance questions live on air. It's going to be an all-call-in show, so we need you to call in or else we won't have a show. If you're interested in being a guest on that show, shoot us an email at gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Uh, also, don't forget to visit our archives. We have lots of great admissions and college finance information on there, including the best way to use your savings to pay for college, uh, tips for putting together a great college list, getting started on an essay. You can also download the shows for free on iTunes. And as always, we're here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Mm-hmm.